Uh, welcome to the CTSnet podcast. Uh, we're going to do a topic of the week every week from now on. This week's topic is what the hell is going on with aortic valve replacement? A shocking paper that 50% of under 60 year olds in California are getting TAVAs. What's going on? So my topic of the week in the main podcast is all about why we all need to get behind the humble mechanical aortic valve replacement. It's a brilliant I- idea. You know, if you have one operation that's going to sort you for 30 to 40 years. Uh, I've got a few other ideas about how we all get behind it but this is a call to arms let's get behind surgery um we the, the battle's gone crazy uh, and this paper really highlights it lots else uh, on the uh, website this week we've got uh, annular pasty rings very early discharge after lung surgery jabrino curry gives us lots of mitral valve repair tips uh, and there's some esophagectomy stuff and an amazing intraoperative chemotherapy for cancer surgery CTSnet friends, thank you so much for logging in every single week and coming to talk to me, Joel Dunning, as Editor-in-Chief of CTSnet. Uh, we're going to shake things up a little bit with the podcast. Uh, before we get into what's on the website this week, we're going to talk about an issue of the week. Um, I don't know what to call it. I wouldn't mind some hints or tips. I've kind of got this uh, idea of calling it Rant of the Week because I'm really going to rant about this one. So... The topic of the week is aortic valve replacement. What the hell are we doing? We have, you know, lost the plot. And the reason I'm saying we've lost the plot is one of the papers that we're highlighting. Um, This paper, uh, it was actually presented at the SDS as a plenary session by Jad Malas, Cedar sinai Medical Center, and uh, and it's highlighted in TCTMD. Uh, Tavi and Sava almost equally performed in California in patients under 60. Um, So before I talk about that paper, well, maybe I should, uh, 2,306 patients less than 60 years old underwent TAVI or uh, a bioprosthetic uh, AVR between 2013 and 2021. Um, So, I mean, this is nuts. Um, The increase in TAVI is 5% a year. There's a two and a half fold increase in mortality at five years with TAVA. Um, And yes, obviously, some of these people have more comorbidities. Uh, but but we've lost the plot. There's absolutely no studies in the under 65s in a randomised fashion. You know, it just isn't indicated for these young people. And uh, and this is the topic I want to talk about because if we're getting incredible mission creep like this, we're getting people under 60 all watching Mick Jagger jumping around after his Tava dancing, going, wow, I want to be just like him. You know, they're completely forgetting that if you're under 60, you're going to need two, three, four interventions. And these aren't just take a Tavi out and put another Tavi in. It's like one valve in valve Tava, and then after that, you're going to need surgery. So instead of one good low-risk operation with an under 1% mortality, brilliant done and you're done forever you're going to have a TAVA and a valve involved TAVA and then you're going to have to have a high risk redo uh, heart surge at the age of 80. Um, this is absolutely potty what on earth are we doing? So I think the cardiothoracic surgical community need to fight back. Now I have three ideas uh, but idea one 
is what the hell's wrong with a mechanical aortic valve replacement? Um, I used to do loads 10, 15 years ago. Me right now today, if I needed a AVR, I would have a mechanical valve. Uh, so what's the problem? Well, the problem's warfarin. Um, but what's wrong with warfarin? The answer's not much. 9% uh, of the over 65s were on warfarin before a Pixaban came out. And the key to warfarin is really good monitoring. Uh, a study in circulation showed you can one quarter uh, your comorbidities by home monitoring or close monitoring. A bit like diabetics. Diabetics don't check their glucose once every six weeks in a clinic. That would be cloud cuckoo land and nuts. So why on earth do we allow warfarin patients to wait six weeks until they have their, their, their INR checked? We all know when you check it all the time on wards, it goes up and down with spinach, with alcohol, uh, with feeling a bit unwell. So check it every day. My mum is on warfarin. She doesn't want to change to a Pixaban. She checks it virtually every day, clamps it uh, absolutely rock solid uh, in the range she needs and, you know, has no problems whatsoever. So number one, a mechanical aortic valve would last an under six year old forever absolutely fact. Number two, yes, they would be on warfarin, but they'd be in home monitoring uh, and they would clamp it really nicely. Number three, we now have things like onyx valves that can have an INR 1.5 to 2.5. Four, what about the future? We all need to get we, we all need to get away from this fact that cardiologists are telling our patients, uh, oh, warfarin's the worst thing in the universe. You know, you can't have that. Much better to have three procedures than a heart surgery when you're 80 uh, than one procedure and stick on warfarin. Well, it's just cobblers. Um, so let's get behind it. Let's say that the long-term complications of warfarin are far less than multiple surgeries. And then the final thing is... Why don't we push a bit harder to try and see if we can get over the line a Pixaban with a clopidogrel or something for mechanical AVRs? Now, you'll all be shouting at the screen that we've just done a big study. And yes, uh, there was a big New England Journal of Medicine study looking at onyx valves, uh, warfarin versus a Pixaban 5 milligrams BD with a bit of random aspirin. Uh, and it didn't quite get there. But if you actually look at the paper, 863 patients in it, um, there was a tiny increase in thromboembolic events in the apixaban-only group. So basically, 16 people had an adverse outcome in the apixaban group versus six in the warfarin group out of 863 patients. There were 10 extra people. Um, these were basically strokes. Only three of them were valve thromboses, three versus naught in the two groups. So actually, we're really, really close. Now, there was 1% less bleeding in the apixaban group as well. So... You know, I think we're really close to being able to not have warfarin in mechanical AVRs. They didn't have routine clopidogrel uh, in this study. Uh, they didn't do uh, antiplatelet uh, inhibition testing. So if I was setting up this study, uh, I would look for the best NOAC uh, regime. I would definitely put them all on antiplatelets and I would check their platelet inhibition because we all know it varies widely with dose. And I would absolutely mandate that you had complete platelet inhibition. Uh, and I reckon we could have equivalents, uh, absolutely. So let's get behind the mechanical valve. Uh, let's try and stop this craziness that under that uh, under sixties uh, should even be considered for a TAVA. Uh, and 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 what are the other what are the other options? Uh, so my option one was just a mechanical valve. Option two was a mechanical valve with uh, no axe. And option three is the Ross procedure. 
Now, the ROS procedure is a great operation. It's quite technically difficult, but it's a really good longevity. It's great, and maybe we should promote this a bit more in the under 60s uh, rather, than, um, rather than going for a TAVA. Um, it's quite a difficult one that because you know it's not widely performed. My personal preference is to is to get around a mechanical valve, uh, but but uh, you know that is the other option. So there you go. There's my rant of the week. I wonder what you think. Uh, am I absolutely bonkers telling people that they should have a mechanical valve under sixty? Um, interestingly, going back to that session, uh, Joe Bavaria in the session uh, said. Um, a near 50% TAVA rate in young patients is truly astonishing. Um, Patrick O'Gara uh, said it, it, uh, this is mission creep uh, and administrative databases are not keeping up with this. Basically, there's complete horror. Uh, and, uh, and also an, a horrifying quote from uh, Hani Najim from the Cleveland Clinic said his team's been seeing 30, 40 and 50 year olds with aortic stenosis asking for TAVA. I mean, that's just, you know, beyond insane. I think we have to be a bit stronger. Now, we in America, the surgeons are there. They're there in the procedures. So it's not that we're not at the table. It's the fact that our heart teams are not working for our patients. Uh, so so uh, that is the end of my rant. Um, I hope you thought that was interesting. Please do let me know what you think about how we push back on the insanity of aortic valve replacement versus TAVA. Uh, at the session, it was proposed, let's use some databases for long-term studies. Rubbish. That's not going to work, is it? Uh, we need to get behind the mechanical valve, in my opinion. So we have covered one of the three papers uh, that we're covering uh, on the in, in uh, CTSnet this week. And uh, we had another paper. Uh, it's also on aortic valve replacements, uh, aortic valve surgery, sorry, but it's not on replacement, it's on repair. Um, Omar Jarrell from Duke University, Chad Hughes, uh, published in the EJCTS, Midterm Outcomes of Aortic Valve Repair with an Anatomically Shaped Internal Annulaplasty Ring. So we're all super familiar with mitral annulaplasty rings, but uh, the aortic annulaplasty ring hasn't really taken off. Um, this is called heart, uh, which is pretty cool. H, hemispherical, A, aortic, A, annulaplasty, R, reconstructive T technology. Uh, I love an acronym. Uh, and, uh, and it's rigid. Um, it's designed to keep the annulus nice and small so it doesn't uh, dilate with time. And basically between 2017 and 2023, they did, uh, they did 53 patients with a trileaflet valve, 18 with a bicuspid valve, mostly. So this is not AVR versus TAVA fighting territory. Uh, this is mostly young people, median age 54. They also needed root replacements or arch repairs. So 46% had a root, 77 had arch replacements. So this is when you're there anyway. Can you avoid the mechanical valve? Don't get me on it. Um, so, but if you are wanting to avoid it, you want to do an aortic repair, then uh, then maybe using this uh, annulaplasty ring will help. At four years follow up, they had ninety four percent freedom from reintervention, which is really really good. Of course, some people say if you've got that ring, that's a really good basis for placing a a TAVA if you get a failure uh, of your repair. So I guess. Uh, there's me doing the absolute opposite argument of what I've just been ranting on, the valve in valve TAVA, but at least I suppose that exists. Um, quite interesting though, uh, annual plasty rings for aortic valves, uh, check that out. Great paper from Duke University. 
and uh, we must of course uh, change track to thoracic surgery and uh, a wonderful patient paper from Daniel Dolan, Northwest Memorial Hospital, Chicago, uh, Samuel Kim, many others, Annals of Thoracic Surgery this month's edition. It says rapid discharge after anatomic lung resection. Is ambulatory surgery for lung cancer possible? Um, now we do see these from time to time but you know I was particularly impressed with this paper. 430 patients, early stage cancer, half of them had lobectomy but over half of them had segmentectomy. But the really impressive thing was that they managed to get 37% of them discharged less than 18 hours after surgery without a drain. So these are not people discharging to a sort of ward over the road with a drain and that's going to come out day five. They don't have a drain uh, and 37 patients were, were discharged even the same day of surgery. So basically they're having overnight, they're having the drain taken out uh, in the morning and going home. And that's brilliant. So well done. Congratulations to this team. Really, really good idea. Um, and to me, anatomical lung resection is no pain, no drain. They can go home. So if you can get your pain relief right, and if you can get the drain out by absolute obsession with Ehrlich in the operation, then you can get amazing figures uh, like this group from Northwestern. So check that out. See what you think. So I'll tell a little breath and I'll hand over to the office and they'll tell you what's on the website this week. Take advantage of the features on your profile page to tell the CTSNet community more about yourself. Head to ctsnet.org user to update your background, place of work, and contact information. When you're done, head to the profiles page to stay connected with colleagues and learn more about your fellow CTSNet members. We've got three great videos for you on the website this week. The best I think of the bunch perhaps might be a wonderful 55-minute video with Jebreen El Khoury telling you all about mitral repair tips and tricks. Uh, so you know who wouldn't want to listen to one of the world's best mitral repair surgeons telling you about everything he's learned over his huge 30-year career at least. Um, now this came from the London Core Review course uh, which was last year 2023 and this course will be next year coming up very quickly April 10th to the 12th as well. So if you want to see more from Jebreen who will be there uh, this year and many others then do log into that as well. But yep yeah, they're giving us very generously uh, for free uh, a range of their videos uh, on their expert tips and this is the first in that series and we'll be publishing some more over the next three weeks before uh, the London Core Review course. The second video we have is a really good idea. Uh, Katamani, uh, uh, Bura Pachastri and Jeffrey Vallotta um, have produced a lovely video on mediastinal envelope closure in total minimally invasive Ivor Lewis esophagectomy. So what is the worst thing about an esophagectomy? Well, it's your anastomotic leak. Of course it is. Um, and uh, and there have been various ideas of how to avoid this um, and, uh, and, and they're pretty interesting. But this one just sounded really sensible. So basically this video shows uh, a really nice demonstration of the abdominal part, bring the stomach up, uh, mobilize everything uh, but when you're mobilizing everything carefully dissect open uh, the mediastinal envelope so, so leave some nice pleural edges uh, then do your resection um, and then 
and then uh, close and uh, do your anastomosis. But then the important thing is close the mediastinal envelope from the level of the azygous vein all the way down to the hiatus. Uh, they demonstrate to us doing interrupted sutures, taking plenty of time and then putting a 28 French drain and a Blake drain. Uh, and, and the kind of idea is if you had any little leaks, it's not going to burst out into the thoracic cavity. It's going to be enclosed with the tissue of the mediastinum. Uh, and actually, uh, they tell us that this has reduced their leak rate. Uh, this has um, allowed them to resume oral feeding on post-operative day one. No use of a jejunostomy tube and full liquid diet on post-operative day five. Uh, so I think this is great. It's not very difficult. It's quite quick. Watch the video. And uh, why not is the question, you know, why wouldn't you close the mediastinal envelope over your esophagectomy? It's where it started, so why not put it back? Uh, so well done to these uh, fabulous authors. I thought that was really interesting. And the third video we have for you this week uh, is in thoracic surgery. Uh, Mariana, Giovanna, Mastro Marino, Marco Lucci and many, many others uh, have produced this uh, wonderful video. Uh, it's really interesting and it's called... PTAC, PTAC uh, stands for Pressurized Intrathoracic Aerosol Chemotherapy. Um, and uh, this, the idea is to take patients that are sent to us with a malignant pleural effusion, we get plenty of those, and then we're taking our biopsies as normal. But why not now use the, the opportunity, we're there, we know it's cancer, to then aerosolize a chemotherapeutic agent into the chest. Um, it's got a certain sensibleness because even without a tissue biopsy, quite often the chemotherapy agents used on the first line are pretty similar at the moment. So they proposed to use cisplatin and doxyrubicin. Um, they aerosolized it. They used a per weight uh, Boyd formula to, uh, well, body surface area to correct, to, to work out the correct amount and they aerosolized it in the pleural cavity. They did this by getting two uh, ballooned up trocars because you don't want it aerosolizing into the operating room. So they created a closed chest system. Uh, they then used CO2 to pressurize everything. They then measured the intrathoracic pressure to be 12 millimeters of mercury cons constantly. And then they basically aerosolized uh, the chemotherapeutic agents for 30 minutes uh, into the chest. Now, everybody had to leave the operating room just so that people didn't get exposed to chemotherapeutic agents. So it does take quite a lot of effort uh, to do this. Um, and obviously this is a sort of blue sky thinking brand new idea. So they're not going to give you a thousand patients 10 year review with a mortality reduction, but they conclude it's safe, feasible, effective, uh, maybe uh, it's like a nice quick procedure to do. Uh, they think it probably has pleurodesis effects, uh, which is what we want to do anyway. And kind of why not? So I thought that was really interesting. And uh, I'm not sure I'm going to try it myself because it's uh, I think most of my staff will freak. But I would love to see some maybe two, three year data. And if they do actually increase survival with no comorbidity, why should there be any comorbidity? then uh, I'll be doing it. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna be watching this group very carefully after that fabulous video. So those are our papers, those are our videos, and that was my rant of the week, the mechanical AVR. 
Um, just a few notes on upcoming events, apart from the London Core Review, uh, which we already talked about. Of course, you cannot miss the AATS, which is coming up 27th and 30th of April. So I'd say uh, the two big things is, firstly, Lars Svensson is president, uh, which is great. It's in Toronto. But the biggest thing is the uh, leadership plenary big speech is being given by none other than Arnie Schwarzenegger. So he's going to do a talk. Of course, Arnie Schwarzenegger uh, had a, a um, Ross procedure, although it didn't go very well, did it? And uh, the surgeon that did it is quite famous for saying he nearly terminated the Terminator uh, as they had to do a very urgent uh, biological AVR. Um, because it failed or didn't work in some way. I don't have the full details. But Arnie's there uh, kicking and screaming and well to this day, a recipient of cardiac surgery. Uh, I'd be very interested to see if he does mention his journey of cardiac surgery. In fact, I'd be surprised if he didn't really. Uh, but actually, he's there to talk about leadership. Uh, and obviously, in this uh, uh, election year in America, it's going to be all the more interesting to see if he lets out any secrets about his views on Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. So that'd be really interesting. I hope they video that and publish it as well. But uh, maybe you can uh, join in person and come and join us because we're going to have lots of people at CTSnet trying to do a load of interviews. Finally, uh, we'd better, or I'd love to, uh, finish with our honourable mention. Obviously, our honourable mention can go to nobody else other than Professor Alan Cribier. Unfortunately, Alan Cribier died uh, this week on the 16th of February at the a very good age of 79. And uh, Alan Cribier obviously is known as the father of, of Tava. And despite what I've been ranting on, Tava is, of course, an amazing and fantastic evolution. Um, he did the very first one in 2002. Uh, and to me, that feels like quite recent, obviously, 24 years ago, quarter of a century now. But but he has absolutely, um, absolutely blown away the field of aortic valve uh, care. Um, now, you might not re recall that he did uh, the first mitral commissurotomy in 1995 and the first balloon aortic valvuloplasty as well. So it wasn't just Tava that he did. And he was an amazing person. He was at Rouen. He was professor of cardiology there and, and, and leaves an incredible uh, ancestry. Um, so well done, an incredible life. Uh, I checked out his Wikipedia page, uh, but I'm sure there'll be a lot of uh, a lot of people that are supremely grateful to uh, the way he kicked off modern treatment of aortic valve disease. And that's it. So uh, we've changed it up a little bit. I wonder what you think. Uh, next week we will have another uh, hot topic of the week. I will not tell you what it is as I don't know what it is because we do these straight hot off the shelves based on, on what's happening in cardiothoracic surgery worldwide. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, podcast and I'll see you next week. Uh, my name is Joel Dunning and uh, it's been a pleasure bringing you the CTS Net Beat this week.